Just when you thought the internet was safe, you were wrong, because we are back once again for show number 63 of the Anime World Order podcast. This is a very special episode, because we've got a very special guest. Say hello, Mr. Special Guest. Hey there. How do you do, everybody? This is Neil Nadelman, translator extraordinaire for all the anime that's good and most of the anime that is more different than good. Better? Awesome? Better than good? Amazing? Perhaps. Because that's what we're talking about this week. See, Neil is, in addition to being a translator extraordinaire, he is also the gatekeeper of totally lame anime. (laughs) A phenomenon that has spread from convention to convention all over this great nation. Wait, wait, wait. Beyond the ones that I do, like, are other people doing lame anime shows? I do lame anime shows that are a pale imitation of what Neil does. Yeah, that's true. Without Neil's lame anime extravaganzas, we would not have a Ninja Consultant podcast. It would be called something else. It would be called the AMV Hipster Podcast or something. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I know that they do bad anime panels all over the place now. Oh, Good. Yep. I'm so happy. In fact, at Janicon, there was a crap anime panel, and I believe that the person there just showed Battle... Battle Royale High School. <laughs> yeah. Which is a good one. I actually like Battle Royale High School. I also <laughs> actually like Battle Royale High School, but that's because <laughs> once you reach a point, totally lame anime and totally not lame anime are one and the same. There is no longer any irony, it just is all one. Basic introductions, I am Daryl Surratt, minor, totally lame anime, apprentice, as opposed to totally lame anime master. I am Gerald Rathgold, I am a man, but for this purpose, my machine robo name will be just man person, and I will just go with that. (laughs) I am Clarissa, and unlike the other two hosts, not a man. You are, in fact, a CIA agent sent to keep us protected from the KGB. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Yes, I am. Your machine robo name is Woman Seal. Seal for no particular reason. Just turns into a seal or turns into a black man with a weird face. <laughs> but at the same time. <laughs> Both and neither. Is it like Baron Osher, like half and half? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Basic show information, website is www.animeworldorder.com. You can uh, head on over there and leave us some choice comments on the filth we're about to unleash. If you don't feel like listening to this whole show and just want to hear a particular segment, you can also go to the website and see time codes. For this episode, you can also download all the past episodes from there. We've got emails, address is animeworldorder.gmail.com. The voicemail number, 206-666-4296. And I know some of you are complaining that, oh, we play the voicemail and don't respond to it. Well, sometimes they don't require a response, and sometimes they do. Last bit, just because I haven't mentioned this in like six months, but please leave us reviews on iTunes. You can dig us as well via the link on our website page. I know we talked about Podcast Pickle a really long time ago, and we were annoyed at the fact that they would clear out the favorites, like all the people who would add us to their favorites list, they'd reset it back to zero, and you'd have to go and do it all over again. Well, they don't do that anymore. Normally, I still wouldn't care, except I went to the website the other day and saw that there is a goddamn podcast about maids that is ranked higher than the Anime World Order. If it was any other podcast subject material, I wouldn't care. But this is about maids, and maids are like the token mascot enemy of this podcast because of the evil dread specter of Moe that they represent. So I want you, if you have a Podcast Pickle account, to please go there and re-add us to your favorites so that we can once again be at least 
ranked higher than this goddamn made podcast. Just go and add Anime World Order and do not add anything about maids. Anyway, because we've got Neil on, we're only going to do one email this week from Jefferson. The subject is Veterans Day and Anime. Have any of you felt it strange that you like Japanese animation when we're clearly American? I know a lot of the Chinese adults are upset that their children are into Japanese animation. We are American, huh? But what it comes down to for us is how do we explain our hobby to World War II veterans who actually fought the Japanese? I really began to think about it after the Veterans Day Assembly. I began to think about it even more when I listened to the latest episode of Anime Roundtable, which is a Canadian podcast. I want to maintain American pride, but with American pride... How does one go about justifying interest in things like Japanese animation? Then to go and say that we happen to like Japanese animation or comics over things like American comics and cartoons more. Things have come a long ways from World War II, but much like the situation in Little Rock, Arkansas, we still have World War II veterans and people who were living during that time. I'm not taking either side, but not even just World War II veterans. How do we explain things to their children? Or grandchildren? What about just regular people who love their <laughs> nation? Also, should we really care about O.J. Simpson that much? Should it really be on Anderson Cooper 360? I know that has nothing to do with anime. But hey. Well, Jefferson, as a real American who fights for the rights of every man, fights for what's right, fights for his life, and fights for his right to party. I suppose so. I I know that I don't eat any Italian food. <laughs> I don't go and watch uh, these French New Wave films. Makes Jeremy happy from the Storyel Podcast DX. I burn every German expressionist tape and film I see. I only stick with what's truly American. Michael Bay movies. <laughs> and the collective works of Rob Cohen. Your life is so full. It's full and very enriched. It must also be very choppy. It must be very hard to keep track of what's going on as well. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I watch a lot of 24. <laughs> NASCAR. <laughs> life and Handicap. Yeah. Seriously, though, this question is mildly absurd because it's not like we don't absorb the pop culture of every other nation and then inflict that pop culture upon the rest of the world, which in turn influences theirs. Right. I don't know if we're really being traitors to our country by reading them Japanese comic books. <laughs> hmm. Anyone who gets up in a bind over this sort of thing probably needs to watch Dog Soldier, because that's a pretty American Japanese cartoon. It is. Yeah. Quintessentially American. And on that note, what we are talking about this week, since we've got Neil on is all totally lame anime because what i am going to be talking about is dog soldier shadows of the past a cpm classic in fact this episode is brought to you by central park media <laughs> i have to say that i don't actually know anything about the history of dog soldier like the manga or where it came from or really i think this is maybe like the third title i translated for central park media years and years ago that's the other surprise all of what we're talking about are things that neil translated <laughs> well i've translated a lot so yeah daryl's incredibly wrong about his assessment of what we're reviewing because what i'm reviewing is not totally lame it's totally awesome well everything that's totally lame is totally awesome i am going to be taking a look at a series that sadly we do not have all of in america yet 
But what we do have is amazing. Machine Robo, Revenge of Kronos. The first 15 or so episodes, some people might know this better as some of the design inspiration for GoBots. What a great theme song. That's all it is. But that's like every 80s toy-based cartoon theme song ever yeah. written. It's, hey, hey, Haim Saban and Shuki Levy knew how to jam when they wrote that theme song to Mask. <laughs> that is an awesome theme song. Thank you. a bunch of mask figures i didn't have very many transformers i had cliff jumper everybody knows the best 80s uh and shockwave cartoon theme song was of course chasing the wheeled warriors indeed fighting evil plants in space. <laughs> and there's like a Luke Skywalker guy and, I, you know, totally Mr. I'm not Han Solo, I swear. And a wizard. And the cute girl. This yeah. is a pretty elaborate plot, but it's not as elaborate as what Clarissa's going to talk about. No. It's very hard to be as elaborate as the plot to the OAV called Crystal Triangle. <laughs> the Forbidden Revelation. Yes. Yes. Who is God, really? of forbidden knowledge. I'll tell you. <laughs> You'll never believe it. But it will affect us in the far future year of 1999. <laughs> yes. In the year 198X, before the world was engulfed <laughs> by nuclear war, there was Crystal Triangle. A whole lot of bad things happened in 1980X. Nuclear war, Crystal yeah. Triangle. That future war. Future war, 1980X. All, all those terrible things. <laughs> it's a bad things. year. So anyway, for people who don't know... Who you are, Neil. Let's go back a bit. Tell us how you got involved in this mad existence that you lead. Well, basically to blame somebody for my existence, I got to blame my friend Pete Fagan, who years ago when I was in high school went off to film an amateur Doctor Who movie and asked me to tape a show called uh, Robotech Forum. That's basically how I discovered anime. From then on, we started watching stuff that we would get from Japan. Then I went to school, learned Japanese. And right out of school, I started working for a company called Central Park Media. That led to quite a number of wild and wacky translations of some shows that I'm not particularly proud of, but 
many of which I am proud of. I've gone and worked for Central Park Media. I've worked for, let's see, Bondi and Pioneer, Right Stuff International. I've translated really good shows like Slayers and Votoms, The Irresponsible Captain Tyler, Wings of Oniamis, which I think is like one of the greatest movies ever made. And I've also translated some really terrible titles, uh, <laughs> some of which we're going to talk about today. Also, somehow or other, I ended up becoming the keeper of totally lame anime in America. That was my next question. How did this come to pass? What was the first totally lame anime panel? Do you remember? Otakon. Otakon? Which year? God, it was like 98, 99, something like that. It was originally a panel that Robert Fenelon, who used to have a magazine called Animazine and was big in like the Boston Starblazers fan club back in the day. It was him, Jeff Thompson, formerly of Right Stuff. Passed away last year. Yeah, who I miss quite a bit. But Jeff and Robert Fenelon, and I can't remember if there was anybody else on it, but we were gathered in a little room at Otakon and wanted to hear what the crazy bad animation was. Fenelon ended up showing me a show called Magnus. Oh, uh, Magnus the Robot. Yeah, Magnus, which was the dub of a terrible show called Magno Robo Gakin. Yeah, for more on Magnus, I briefly mentioned it when I reviewed Godanar back in, I believe, <laughs> show number 61. Magnus is magnificent because it's so supremely ugly. It's a terrible, terrible Did show. Did you just make a pun? Did you say Magnus is magnificent? Yeah, but that was totally not intentional. intentional. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's such a garbage-looking robot with oh, such God. bizarre designs, and its weakness are in the ankles. Terrible. I mean, but the greatest thing about Magnus is the fact that the way that you form the super robot is the male and female pilots of the two robots <laughs> jump out of their cockpits in midair, yes. spin around, and then somehow turn into the belt buckle of the giant robot. <laughs> yeah, you don't even turn into something impressive. It's just the belt it's buckle. It's just the belt buckle, it's yeah. Just, it, it's just bling. <laughs> <laughs> so Magnus the Robot is to blame for all this totally lame anime business that's been sweeping America. That and something called Attack of the Super Monsters. Oh, boy. I bought a commercial copy of Attack <laughs> I wanted to buy the commercial copy, and then the website was no longer there anymore. Attack of the Super Monsters is something I think we're just going to have to review in a future episode of Anime World Order. It deserves its own episode, because, man, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> that brings me to my next question. There's anime, there's bad anime, and then there's totally lame anime. What's the cutoff point between anime that somebody just doesn't like and something that's totally lame? Totally lame anime has to be entertaining. You have to look at it, and it's got to make you laugh. Really, it's got to be so bad that it makes you laugh. It's got to have that sort of Ed Wood quality to it. Like that bit from the animated version of Call of the Wild, where for some reason the dog starts flying uh, around dodging I have only seen ninja the dog. clips of, yeah, the ninja dog that owns you. <laughs> Man. That sums up. So Totally Lame Anime is anime that is not just bad, but so bad that it goes all the way around and becomes entertaining. Right. Pretty much, yeah. There's actually a lot less of that than there is, like, really, really good anime. Well, there's good anime, but the problem is most of what I consider just kind of bad anime is just mediocre or dull anime. So right, right. The real worst anime is the anime that completely fails to entertain on either a genuine or ironic sense. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of shows out there where they're very, they could be slickly produced, but they're just, they don't do anything for you. Yeah. There's too much of that. Yeah, well. Like the stuff that's really so bad that it's entertaining is a very small drop in the bucket. How do you find the stuff? 
That's the other billion dollar question. Old video shops and dollar stores. The old video shops were finding the really obscure old dubs. Stuff like the Harmony Gold version of Frankenstein or Dracula, Sovereign of Vampires. Stuff like that. And you can also find dubs of really good stuff. You can find those old Madhouse animated dubs of the Unico movies. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So basically, the quest for finding obscure anime that's really good, you end up inadvertently getting the bottom of the barrel as well. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, I normally go in looking for something like, oh, there's got to be something crazy. But a lot of what helps with lame anime is also you can show a good anime that's just dubbed terribly. And that's where it overlaps with dubs time forgot. But I like trying to find the terrible old dubs or just the weird, weird dubs. Since you touched on it, dubs that time forgot, is that another one that you started or is that Mike Tools, baby? That was Mike Tools, baby. Uh. He's the one who uh, was doing that. I decided that we'd section off. There's overlap between the two. Dubs that time forgot are literally, as the title suggests, dubs that you can no longer find of weird things. And finding these dubs, you end up going to the exact same flea market dollar store bins to find the worst of the worst as you do to find these forgotten (laughs) classics. Oh, yeah. And also... When people are selling their old VHS tapes, you never know what you're going to find. I was at a anime swap meet at Anime North a couple of years ago, and I picked up a copy on VHS of In the Aftermath. Oh, boy. Oh, God. In the oh. Aftermath. For those of you who don't know, at some point I should probably review Angel's Egg, which is this very famous experimental animation by Mamoru Oshii. In the Aftermath is... Was it Roger Corman, Neil? I think it was. I'd have to check. It was an... Americanized version of Angel's Egg with live-action footage interspersed between the anime to great, ridiculous effect. (laughs) It's something that needs to be seen. (laughs) They used to have it for rent online. I think Netflix or something, not Netflix, but some place used to have it, and I don't know what happened. So you found In the Aftermath at Anime North. How much did you pay for it? Like $2 Canadian. Worth every penny. Uh, Canadian money is worth more than our money now. I pulled up the IMDb file I'm in the aftermath, and I'm not seeing Corman's name attached to this. Okay, because you always sort of bunch in in the aftermath with that dub of Galaxy Express. And mm. like, I don't know, where did in the aftermath come from? I'm not sure. Nobody knows. We'll have to cover it in a later show, because in the aftermath is just huge and weird, and it's kind of hard to explain. As far as things that are huge and weird and kind of hard to explain, you were talking about when uh, you first got into anime, you had a friend who uh, had you tape Robotech, and then somehow you ended up getting tapes from Japan. Oh, he ended up putting like an ad in an English language newspaper in Japan saying, we'll trade American shows for Japanese cartoons, and that's the way that we got the shows back in the day. You made a contact in Japan and you'd swap tapes. And so I remember one of the tapes that you got was the same tape that everyone was talking about, like the one with Zeta Gundam on it. And Actually, that was the second tape we ever got. The first tape we ever got was four random episodes of Yamato Series 3. That was kind of weird, but the tape that really blew our minds was we got a tape which had the last four episodes of Zeta Gundam. Which were the only episodes of Zeta Gundam you'd ever seen, and no subtitles or anything, right? Oh right. But holy shit, that looked great. <laughs> Zeta Gundam just blew our minds because we knew about Battle of the Planets, we knew about Robotech, but Zeta Gundam mm-hmm. just looked completely different from anything we had ever seen. 20 years later, Zeta Gundam is still kicking ass. I can't believe how good that show is. But there was the last four episodes of Zeta Gundam. 
the first four episodes of original Dragon Ball and the last four episodes of a live-action Sentai show called Change Man. Ah, uh, <laughs> yes. Change Man remains, to this day, my favorite Sentai show because that was like the most kick-ass Sentai team ever. If you... <laughs> and I'm not a fan of Sentai, but Change Man was the craziest show. They were all pretty crazy. Yeah. <laughs> in their own special ways. What drove you from watching Change Man to, I'm going to learn Japanese now? Well, like most early anime fans, we ended up finding out that the translations that we were getting over here were not entirely accurate. And I learned about anime literally like my last year of high school. So I was thinking, like, I'm going to go off to college and learn Japanese. That'll be totally cool. <laughs> and I went off to college and promptly started taking Japanese. Never did the homework because I was too busy watching cartoons and reading comic books. And then somehow, upon graduation, I ended up learning about the company Central Park Media. And before I actually graduated, I learned enough Japanese that I was actually doing my own translations and stuff. And I did fan subs, and this was back in the day when doing fan subs was a hell of a lot of hard work. Because you'd have to actually do it on tape, and you'd have to have like an Amiga and a Genlock and everything. I translated Wings of Oniamas. That was like my masterpiece, because I loved that movie. Gundam 0080 and Kiki's Delivery Service basically made fan subs of that and I found out about the Central Park Media, showed them my fan subs, and they were like, you know, they hired me to try to do translations for them. So what was the first thing they said is your first assignment, new guy? Translate this one. My first assignment was not actually translation, it was to find out how to get Project Echo subtitled. Hmm. How to do it. How to do it. And believe it or not, it was not just as easy as finding a subtitling company because a lot of companies were not set up to do subtitling. This whole concept of taking a time script and slamming subtitles on it, most studios were not set up for that. We ended up doing it manually at a place called National Video Center in New York, and it took like eight hours straight in the studio to subtitle Project Echo. Wow. Basically, we had to send them the script, and we say, okay, you break it up page by page in the character generator, and then we would do a million edits to individually edit each title screen on there. Huh. I noticed every single CPM tape I had always says Captions by Captions, Inc. What was Captions, Inc.? Captions, Inc. is a subtitling and closed captioning company in Los Angeles, and they were actually recommended to Central Park Media by Carl Masek, who had streamlined pictures at the time. Carl, who was, of course, famous for bringing us Robotech and other such things. And Captions, Inc. was, in fact, set up for doing, you give them a time script and they do subtitles. And back in the day, there wasn't that much call for doing subtitling of movies and TV shows. Of course, now with DVD and the need for closed captioning everything, everything gets subtitled now. But Captions Inc. pretty much saved us, and we used them for years because they were reliable, and they did the job well. For years, we actually went through several vendors and then you know, finally settled on Captions Inc. because it was just easiest that way. And what was your first translation assignment? My very first translation assignment was actually for Animago, and I did Bubblegum Crash Episode 1. Oh, boy. Oh, wow. What a great way to start. Although, actually, I will say I keep the script for Bubblegum Crash 1 just because apparently, like, one of the artists or somebody on the script had started sketching the various hard suit helmets and stuff. So you flip through the pages, and there's on the photocopy <laughs> that I have, suddenly, it's, oh, it's Chris's hard suit helmet, <laughs> which is pretty cool. I love saving stuff like that. I could never get rid of something like that. That's pretty neat. Uh, yeah. I also have such things as the crazy English translations the Japanese companies would provide for their various shows. <laughs> Those alone would be panel-worthy material. 
just reading it, just reading the crazy translation of uh, Legend of the Overfiend that Westcape Corporation provided. Oh, I'd love to read that. Oh boy, Westcape Corporation. <laughs> Fine makers of anime such as Odin, Photon, Space Sailor, Starlight, which we reviewed way back when. To give people an idea, I've been meaning to have Neil on this show for like two years now. Yeah. <laughs> we're only just so getting around to it now. Give them an idea of like what those scripts were like. They were scripts apparently written by a very bored translator who became very sarcastic while writing up this movie. Uh, Overfiend or Odin? Overfiend. Oh, actually, Overfiend and Odin. Overfiend. Uh, Overfiend would contain stuff like Nagumo mounts Akemi and begins humping her wildly. <laughs> As he begins, his body begins to metamorphose. Akemi's line. Nagumo is changing, she says observantly. <laughs> observantly. Observantly. <laughs> and then finally, pumping, thrusting, hemming, and hawing until finally reaching that apical sensation only achieved by elephants in the wild, he roars. <laughs> this is in the translation. This was a desperately bored translator who was writing that translation. I had to keep that. I think they were writing a romance novel at the same time. Yes, <laughs> must be it. <laughs> How often is it that the translators get bored and put in weird things like that? Because I remember seeing some of your Fist of the North Star scripts, and they had ridiculous things as well. Well, okay. Fist of the North Star, when I did the Fist of the North Star translations for manga, what they would have me do is the translation first, and I'd have to do some scene descriptions just so the writer for the dub can keep track of like where the scene was. And I just started getting really snarky and crazy with my scene descriptions. The other thing about Fist of the North Star is the characters would all have crazy kung fu yells that they would do whenever they would do their crazy murderous waving of hands. And so Ray, whenever he would slice people up, I always refer to that as Ray does his deli slice move. And then whoever got deli slice, I would always write deli slice react. Basically, the actor must react as though he's being sliced up into ribbons of meat. <laughs> So, yeah, there's that, and I always referred to, like, when Kenshiro would go crazy and his shirt would rip off, I'd refer to him as Kenshiro goes all Bill Bixby on the enemy. All Bill Bixby. Wow, did we just and date ourselves? That confused the hell out of the guy who was checking my translations. Oh, like, he didn't know who Bill Bixby was. Yeah, like, Bill Bixby, he, he was like a stage magician, wasn't he? Well, he played a character who was a magician on a show back in the 70s, but he was also the Incredible Hulk when he wasn't being the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> I think the only thing anyone ever remembers Bill Bixby for is the Hulk at this point. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, well. I guess we've danced around this long enough, but you had the dubious distinction of having to translate Odin. How were you able to do it without falling asleep? <laughs> <sighs> okay, part of it was... Man, Odin still sort of makes me angry because I'd like to go back and fix a lot of things on it because that was one of the early ones. You said the same thing about Crystal Triangle when I showed <laughs> you a clip from it. Well, these were, like, literally I was out of college and, man, I would make mistakes and trends. It's really weird looking back because my style was not really at all that faithful to the actual Japanese. I was trying to write, like, a better... I was trying to write it as, like, a fairly good script. Trying to make that. Odin exciting? Um, looking back, Odin was so long and dull, and I think I was actually really referencing the English translation that Westcape Corporation provided us with Odin, just so that I could get through it quickly. Is that the one where they just extensively used mizzen mast? Because I've never seen <laughs> the term brought up nearly as often, not even in, like, Hakage. <laughs> Everything is about the mizzen mast. <laughs> 
know, all that I can really, really remember from Odin very clearly is all the guys running onto the ship at the beginning because they seem <laughs> to do a lot of running around and a lot of musical numbers. And oh, amazing also, musical numbers. Also, that final one, which one day we've got to... Should I tell the story about us watching Odin? Or I think you need to tell the story. I think now is the time. <laughs> okay. I think the world needs to hear it. Years before I worked on the translation, my friend Pete and I, when we were getting into anime and everything, we'd go and get all the anime that we could to watch. And he went into New York to a place called Tokyo Video, and he got a copy of something called Odin. And we didn't know anything about Odin. We just knew that it was a movie about like a ship in space. It was from the guys who did Star Blazers, which we had never seen either. But we kept watching Odin, and Odin, for those of you who have never seen it, the uncut version of the movie is about two and a half hours. But it seems to last about 35 hours when you're watching it. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't die. We would try to watch Odin, and then by about the 45th minute of the movie, we would just get bored and turn it off. And so we had this copy of Odin for about a year. Finally, one weekend, my friend Pete calls me up and says, Neil, we're going to sit down, we're going to order some pizzas, and we're going to get some Cokes, and we're going to watch Odin all the way through, and then I'm going to erase that goddamn tape. <laughs> and then we will never have to deal with Odin again, because I'm getting sick and tired of it sitting on my shelf. So we go, and we order the pizzas, and we get the Cokes, and we sit down, and we watch Odin, and it's, ah, yeah, they're running around. Uh, okay, wait, oh, wait, they're being attacked. Oh, now the ship's going through a warp, and now they're running around. Now they're being attacked. Oh, the ship's doing another warp. <laughs> they're running around. They're being attacked. All oh, the ship's going to do another war. <laughs> and we're watching, and I'm like, how long can this possibly last? And he's like, I think it's two and a half hours long. I'm like, okay, we're, we're almost through it then. It's got to have a good ending. This had better have a really great ending to justify us sitting here watching this amazingly dull movie. And then... Uh. Then they get to the end of the movie, and what do we see? It suddenly shifts to live action, and we get to see the band Loudness start playing music. <laughs> we were not expecting this. I don't think anybody was. We were looking Aww. at it, slack-jawed with amazement as it turns into like you know music video for a stage performance of Loudness, and then they, they sort of crudely superimposed the starlight flying over them. We're like, well, that was a surprising ending. <laughs> <laughs> that certainly was an ending. Did you indeed erase the tape afterwards? Yes. yes. And we you didn't smash the, the tape? Or? We declared it the worst damn movie we had ever seen, and we erased that tape. And then years later, I start working for Central Park Media. John O'Donnell one night, I'm calling him up on the phone to ask him something, and he says, hey, I'm thinking about getting something. How do you feel about a movie called Odin? <laughs> and I walked... I launched into a 20-minute tirade on the phone <laughs> explaining why Odin was the worst movie ever made. And then he licensed it anyway. <laughs> you shouldn't buy it. Why nobody in their right minds would buy this movie. And I'm like, do not do it. And he's a blah, blah, blah. And then at the end, this is long silence. John O'Donnell just says, so, I take it you don't like it then. <laughs> <laughs> then he gave it to you to translate. <laughs> Then he proceeded to license the damn thing, and I had to translate it. Curse you! <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think on that note, we're going to have to get things rolling <laughs> underway <laughs> with the bad anime reviews. We have to get to the point at some point. <laughs> It's all right. We'll be right back. We're going to start things off with Dog Soldier. Normally, you would build up to Dog Soldier, and it would be like the coup de grace of your episode, but not this time, folks. We're going to start 
bringing out what would be a big gun, but in comparison is not quite as big of a gun. <laughs> in a moment. Hey guys, we have to tape a promo for our show. In 20 seconds, tell us what the Anime Roundtable is about. Well, the Roundtable is about a Canadian perspective on issues revolving around anime, manga, and fandom. As well, we got the bullets and why not some final insults to send it all off. Five seconds left. Really? Lollies, Nazis, train molesters, Bakake, and the women that love them. Time's up. We let's see that? Well, it is uncensored. It's the Anime Roundtable, the official podcast of Anime North. Look for us on iTunes, Podcast Pickle, or your favorite podcast director. Or look us up online, www.animeroundtable.com. The Anime Roundtable, where we edit for time, not content. All right, quick disclaimer. These reviews in this episode of AWO are not actually reviews. They're more just we describe exactly what happens in the anime so that you never have to go see it. It's just as well, since I don't even remember what it was we were doing last time. Last time we were talking about how Barack Obama should get the styrofoam Goku wig. <laughs> I hope that makes it into the recording. <laughs> I think it's going pretty well. I think so, too. All right. So I don't even remember when this topic was first broached on Anime World Order, but I know at some point we were talking about Mina Agechao, CPM having licensed that. And then the Japanese going back and saying, no, 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 we changed our mind. We do not want you to release that here. We'll give you a bunch of free things in exchange for that. <laughs> they gave them a couple of titles, all of which are excellent. We did not want to scare Neil away from this podcast, so we are not talking about Root Search just yet. <laughs> Actually, I don't think Root Search was part of that. It wasn't? I think that was part of the big Gaga Communications fire sale. You're right, because Gaga uh, Communications Root Search was on that. Along yes. with M.D. Geist, the Thunder Warrior. I believe oh, the titles that they got as compensation for having Mina Agachow pulled were... One was called Wannabes. Okay, that's oh, another yeah. excellent one that we could have talked about here, but we chose mm -hmm. not to. And the other one was Dog Soldier, Shadows of the Past. Which is what we are talking about now. The Humanoid was also... Did you mention no, the Humanoid? I, no, I think the Humanoid was Gaga. Yeah, it really? was, because the Humanoid yeah. is on the Gaga Communications reel as well. Oh, uh, okay. Along with Future Escape, Bubblegum Crisis, and Supernova, <laughs> Project Echo. Yes. Uh, seriously, I think the two Sony titles that they got were Wannabes and Dog Soldier. I don't think there were any others that they got as compensation. Mm. What a wonderful trade, because without Dog Soldier, <laughs> I don't know where I would be with my life. Really? I would probably be dead in a ditch, or snorting cocaine, and <laughs> maybe I would have a knife in my forehead. I know how I encountered Dog Soldier, but how did you encounter Dog Soldier? This has interested me for a while. You know, it's just been one of those things where back on the days of Usenet, rec.arts.anime, which later became rec.arts.anime.miscellaneous, it was just like this boogeyman anime title. People just speaking of Dog Soldier in these hushed tones, like, oh god, at least it wasn't as bad as Dog Soldier. <laughs> People just kept... <laughs> Building it up is this horrible, horrible thing, and then eventually... So finally you just had to watch it? Yeah, the mystique around Dog Soldier was like, oh god, I have to see Dog Soldier now. And so I went and I rented it from a local comic book shop, and I saw it, and I was like, oh boy, that was something indeed. And then years later, at AWA one year, I was at the dealer's room, and I encountered they had the dub of Dog Soldier, which I didn't realize that they bothered 
to release an English language <laughs> version. And so and now I own this twice over. It was an old dub dog too. soldier here. For people who really want to know what's the story of dog soldier, you could sum it up in one word, Rambo, or you could do it the anime world order way by saying it's based on a manga by a great, great man by the name of Tetsuya Saruatari. Very little of his work has been released in English, but one of them has. Viz released the manga known as Tough, <laughs> which uh, was adapted into the anime Shoot Fighter Tekken, which is another fine and wonderful piece of animation. That I will review soon at some point. Yeah, yeah, it has to be done. But the main thing that I think the rest of the world knows Tetsuya Saruatari for is that he made a manga that was 12 volumes known as Violence Hero Rikio, which was adapted into a Hong Kong movie. It was a live-action film that was very, very faithful <laughs> to the comic. For those of you who know about Rikio or the story of Ricky, that movie only covers the first three volumes. There are nine more volumes of Rikio that happens after he gets out of prison, and they are crazier than what happened in that movie. It goes without saying that Tetsuya Saruwatari was indeed trained by Kazuo Koike in how to be a proper manga author. It all comes back to Koike. It always does. Was there ever any doubt? Ever any doubt? He's the source. The source wall of greatness. And so Dog Soldier, Shadows of the Past, was obviously, if you couldn't tell, it's from the 80s. This OAV was made in, say, 89 or 88, thereabouts. It's pretty much a straight-up ripoff of Rambo. We've got our hero, John Kyosuke Hiba. He looks like Rambo, except he's a Japanese guy named John. Well, he's Japanese-American. He's a half-Japanese guy. He grew up in the slums of the L.A. The slums of L.A., overlooking <laughs> the neon signs of Hollywood or something. I don't... Something like that. Yeah. Of course... Like all super-duper ultra-commandos, he doesn't want anything to do with war anymore, so he's renounced all violence, and he's working as a construction worker with his good buddy pal from the war. <laughs> How do we describe this guy's haircut? Is reverse mohawk adequate? It's a reverse mohawk buzz cut. Imagine <laughs> if you have a mohawk, and you just took a shaver and shaved it off just the middle of your head. Maybe it was a freak accident. Like a car tire just drove directly over his head and like a scuff mark or something. Maybe it was one of those deals. We'll never know. It's an impressive backstory that we'll never get into. Dog Soldier, I would say it has one of the most convoluted anime plots in, ever, except we're going to talk about Crystal Triangle later. Yeah, no, nothing <laughs> and nothing compares to Crystal Triangle. <laughs> I, I mean, the thing that I love about Dog Soldier is John, he's supposed to be ex-Green Beret. But apparently during the 1980s, America sent Green Berets down to El Salvador to just randomly kill villagers. Yes. That's the reason why he doesn't want to do war no more. Because he doesn't want to be any tool of the government and murder innocent women and children, which is what Green Berets do. Man. Yeah. That was the whole thing. They have this flashback to where he's gorillas. Oh, just that flashback? Dog Soldier <laughs> is the most, like... <laughs> ham-handed, everybody has to stop and give their entire life story in a flashback at the most inappropriate time. Look, Tetsuya Saruwatari is the king of life stories at inopportune Life moments. story, yeah. Rikio, <laughs> Shoot Fighter, Tekken, or Tough, all of them are just like, listen, I gave a lot of thought into this character, and know what characterization is listen this guy had a rough childhood okay he grew up in the slums of la with his childhood friends 
and he became the greatest killer the world has ever known. What better time is there to give your life story when you've had your lungs burned out, your brain removed, and you're a skeleton? Yes, that's oh. a Ricky O reference. <laughs> <laughs> and you're Nazi. Hey, at least it's not stupid, like, giving your life story when you have a giant dagger stuck through your... Hey, hey, that would never happen. That would never happen in anything. No anime would be that dumb. (laughs) It's so (laughs) unconvincing, the way they try and portray John Kyosuke Hiba as, like, the ultimate badass, because the opening scene of this is they kidnap a girl who may or may not be in on some greater scheme because she arbitrarily stabs this other guy... For no reason. Who comes to save her? And this secret guerrilla conflict ends up spilling over into (laughs) John Kyosuke Hiba's ordinary construction level work where... All right, back up. Everybody remembers G.I. Joe, right? Where (laughs) Cobra would be getting away on like their aircraft carrier or something and Duke or whoever would make that jump and it looked like he was missing, but then it would cut to show like the hand just grab onto the bottom rung of the helicopter. Okay, we get that first, but then one of the trained guerrilla guys, puts an assault rifle straight to his forehead, fires three times, point blank. But John is so fast that he dodges his bullets. It looks like he just gets shot three times. <laughs> you know, yeah, the fact that he's got the thing on his forehead. And dodges it. The thing is, Dark Soldier's full of that. It's nothing but that. Suffice to say, just like Rambo, they pull him back in, the government, because it's like, oh, you're the only one who can do it, John. You gotta stop Phantom. And without missing a beat, he's like, Phantom? You mean the up-and-coming death merchant? And that's the great thing, because, you know, supposedly John Kyosuke Hiba has been out of the loop for a few years now, yet apparently in his spare time, he's keeping up on who the up-and-coming death merchants of the world are. (laughs) He's on their mailing list, so... And, you know, death merchant is a very, very important term in Dog Soldier. Yeah, because... (laughs) To this day, it's like, Shino Shonin, Shino Shonin, being a merchant of death, comes up constantly because that's all that he will ever describe this guy as. That's the only thing Phantom is. He's a death merchant. We know nothing else about him. And then even when we meet Phantom, he's like, yes, I'm a death merchant. I will (laughs) sell the horrible arms to the rest of the world. And Phantom has gotten a hold of the deadliest item of all time. But to find this, John has to be reunited with Kathy, his childhood friend, and through circumstances decides that he needs to meet Kathy in the baseball stadium. I don't know if you remember this scene, Neil, mm-hmm. but this is one of the most bullshit scenes in all of Dog Soldiers, this entire baseball stadium sequence, because <laughs> oh, that's this good. is one of those, like, right up there with the Odin hand on the glass as the elevator's going up. <laughs> For whatever reason, one of them is the pitcher's mound and the other, Kathy or whoever's home plate. Maybe I've got it backwards, but I'm pretty sure I've got it right. And so he runs up to her and slides and steals home base. Even though she's standing there, there's no game going on. He just does it as like, hey, baby, what's going on? I also like how in these shows, anybody can get into any locked structure without any problem. Yeah, there's no guards for this baseball stadium at night. Of course, all the lights are on, and they don't notice that an entire guerrilla team snuck up behind them. How do you sneak up behind someone in the middle of a baseball diamond? <laughs> um, There's no cover. It's just suddenly they're surrounded. They're all in ninja suits, as I remember. So maybe I that guess helps. you exactly. can't see ninjas, even if they're carrying assault rifles. 
Look, anime frequently has giant robots sneak up on people. I can understand sneaking up on somebody if you had maybe desert camo, if you were in the desert and you were a robot. That's realistic. Exactly. Dog soldier, not realistic. <laughs> Stormtrooper effect in full force here. 20 guys with armed rifles and John's got what? Those little throwing knives? Mm, and that's it? Because yeah. that's his signature weapon is these throwing knives? I mean, you thought noir was bad. They can't hit this dude at all. And he just takes everybody out and falls into a booby trap that takes him all the way to the top of the stadium where Phantom is <laughs> lying in wait. And Phantom is shock of shocks, his other childhood friend, Makoto. <laughs> of course, he just he knew that already because John is in the loop, even though he's out of the loop. And he knows exactly what Phantom is. And Phantom, with the help of Kathy, has discovered what might be the most lethal weapon known in anime history. The cure for AIDS. <laughs> the cure for AIDS uh. is the ultimate weapon. Neil, explain that for us. Because the country that controls the cure for AIDS can infect any other country with AIDS, and then <laughs> they can sit back and I guess... Because they're not all wait. already infected with AIDS. Well, no, my, my favorite thing is AIDS takes about 15 years to prevent <laughs> itself... <laughs> It's not a real effective bioweapon. You're like, we're infected you with AIDS. You fiend. No. Now we only have 15 years to fight you now. <laughs> <laughs> the fact is that if you infect someone with AIDS, you can withhold the cure from them, and then we will be the only ones who know how to cure AIDS. And you cannot. Of course, this was made back in the late The 80s, 80s when AIDS was on everybody's mind. And also, especially in Japan, there was a lot of ignorance about AIDS. I remember actually reading a manga by a friend of mine not by a friend of mine, he owned the manga, and it was called American Story. In the back of each volume, there was like a little bit about how the authors, they went to America for research, and they just said, blah, 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 and then we went up to San Francisco, and we saw a couple of gay guys jogging on the side of the road, and we stopped to chat with them, but we kept the window up because we didn't want to catch AIDS. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, that's the sort of stuff that they were dealing with, so I can sort of understand them and AIDS of this almighty plague that was sweeping the world. But I mean, right. especially now, the plot is now more ludicrous than it could possibly be. Mm -hmm. I would say Makoto is guilty of every single bad guy fallacy of, or, or like, you know, supervillain evil genius mistake <laughs> because he repeatedly allows John to live and decides that he's going to explain his grand scheme of terror and such, and oh, by the way, I'm going to take you to my secret lair in South America, <laughs> where we're going to reenact Surviving the Game starring Ice-T. <laughs> or Hard Target starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. You can take your pick. The most dangerous game. That's right. John is going to be the prey for these ultra-super-duper hardcore hunters. And really, all this is is just an excuse for John to show his makeshift bow and arrow out of <laughs> <laughs> blades of grass tied together. I don't know what he did. <laughs> it's really unconvincing, like these action scenes. It's supposed to show like how much of a hard ass John is. Sure, okay, he's got this awesome Rambo combat knife, but yeah, I don't know. I'm not buying it, Chief. He's just like, oh, do -do 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 -do. oh no! Suddenly, a giant net has ensnared this guy, or he was able to dig a 10-foot-deep ditch and put bamboo shoots at the bottom to impale people or whatever. No, I, I can't 
can't remember why was John's friend brought with him because I seem to remember that they both end up on that island. Yes, they did both end up on the island because through a series of owing people money because, of course, they're too poor and have to eat cup ramen all the time. Which I was not allowed to call ramen at the time because they're like, Americans will never understand what ramen is. We have to say instant noodle soup. I just have to point that out, how much times have changed in terms of translation. Right. Uh, For whatever reason, they get the information and they both get caught. (laughs) They both get brought in by the government since they're both apparently extremely competent soldiers, although we don't really seem to see his friend do anything remotely competent. Maybe he gets a rocket launcher and starts firing a bunch of things. He was known as the Devil's Commando in the Japanese Self-Defense Forces. (laughs) The JSDF doing all the horrible commando work. Well, his name was Fudo, and as Fist of the North Star teaches us, anyone named Fudo is obviously a great demon, even though they're acting like a goofy guy all the time. So that's the reason, and somehow or the other, it ends up, um, he's got like a secret base in a pyramid, and there's uh, all this gold that he's just got amassed, even though he's got this world's fortune, he still needs to sell the AIDS virus to people, and he's got like Harrier jets on the pyramid, (laughs) because he's a death merchant, and death merchants, where else are you going to buy your Harrier jets from? Well, you know, he is a merchant of death, and he'll use anybody, even his own lover, to get what he wants. As is explained repeatedly, because every single character in this decides to give their total life story at the most inappropriate times. As we mentioned, like, John just decides to suddenly stop and say, man, it sure was tough growing up in the slums of L.A. with you and Makoto, Kathy. Yes, those were difficult times. We watched out for each other. And we were so happy together. What could have happened to us all? I do not know. And then they cut to the shot of young John holding a knife on Makoto. <laughs> young like- Makoto. <laughs> and Kathy is torn between them because she loved them both. And oh no, it's dramatic because now they're on opposite sides, ideals. And, you know, hey, dog soldier, you fight for love and freedom. But Makoto, you're an upcoming death merchant. You'll kill anyone for any reason, even their loved ones. But I still don't know who to choose. It's really <laughs> unconvincing soap opera. Maybe because Kathy is the world's dumbest research scientist, because even with all the evidence about who Makoto is and what he does, she still never believes John when he says, you know, he's just using you. He's a death virgin, and he'll, he'll use anyone, even his lover, you know, to get what he wants. His lover? Would- That's not true. That's me. He would never <laughs> do that for me. He loves me. The big climax of this is that we get this Mexican standoff. I don't even want to explain how this happens because I've seen it like 50 times and I still don't understand what happened here. John and Makoto are roughly a football field's distance away from each other. <laughs> they're, they're, at least, they're at least 30 feet apart. They're quite a ways away from one another. Or actually, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. No, wait, wait, wait. Let's make this accurate. Makoto is about... 12 feet away from John. John has been wounded. He's down on his knee. He's oh, I mean before down. that happens. Oh, 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 it, b- Before sorry. that, they're like at an equilateral triangle apart oh, from each other. All three yeah, of them. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please And, and it's come down to a fight between John and Makoto, and they're going to settle this once and for all, this childhood rivalry that they've had, and his mad scheme to control the world with his death merchant ways, and the AIDS virus, I mean the AIDS vaccine, I'm sorry. And so they get into a fight. It has to be a knife fight, of course, because John's got his Rambo combat knife, and Makoto's got his knife that has a hole cut in the middle of it, specifically for deflecting other knives, I guess. (laughs) 
And so Makoto gets the upper hand on John, wounding him and making bad guy mistake number five billion. He pulls a gun on John to finish him off and decides, you know what? I don't need the gun. <laughs> I don't need the gun! I don't need the gun either, John! Whenever I can do the commando quote, I have to. <laughs> then he gives his big speech to John, and they're about, I would say, a foot away from each other at this point. Very, very close. I mean, the thing is, Makoto looks to be about seven and a half feet tall in this thing. He <laughs> yes. Only, he only needs to take, like, one good step forward. And and can crush him underneath his heel right, because he's right. such a giant. Right, and, and Kathy is apparently about 30 feet away. Yes, very, him. very far away. And so Makoto, he's giving his speech, like, I'm going to kill you, John, and then I'm going to go on selling my weapons to the world. You're a evil person. You use men's souls and make them your slaves. Ha, <laughs> you can say the same of all religions, John. And so he goes to finish him off. He goes to stab John. And you slowly see the knife coming. And then John's shocked face. You see the knife coming some more in John's face. And Kathy starts to run saying, no! And then the knife keeps coming. And this goes on for like a good 30 seconds. Like, get on with it. Shock of shocks. Makoto ends up stabbing Kathy, who runs forward to take the wound. Even though there's no space for her to have fit between them and she was so far away the act of stabbing john would not have allowed unless she maybe had the speed force on her side and like ran to take the hit so naturally she's stabbed she's fatally wounded and you also notice there's no blood on her when she's no no not no blood on her white blouse and skirt or any of that stuff she's just stabbed and so she has to give her entire life story I met you when we were children. We were so happy together, and none of this was explained in the anime at all. And there's really no purpose for me to be telling you this, because both of you lived it, and you know it. And then the worst insult of all, the thing that I always hate when they do this in anime, she dies saying, John, you were my, you were both my. You were both my. <laughs> and then she dies. I don't know what she could have said. Your brothers? Others? Boyfriends? Roommates? We'll never know. (laughs) We will never know. What we do know is that her death causes John to go Super Saiyan and unleash his hidden power because he starts to like glow with rage and nothing's going to stop him. And Makoto sees that he's attained the superpower of the dog soldier. And it's like, oh, Makoto, you may have been better, but you won't beat me now. And he picks up the knife and Makoto picks up his gun finally to kill him. He unloads his entire clip into John, but the bullets just bounce off of him. (laughs) (laughs) It's the Mad Bull style. He stands there holding his ground, and the other guy is firing, and the bullets are just grazing off his shoulder, and he doesn't care. Because apparently Makoto cannot hit somebody who's four feet away from him. No. (laughs) No, no, no. He's a death merchant, and he sells weapons of death to everyone. He just doesn't know how to use them very well. (laughs) But he, he... John is four feet away from him, and yet then makes that tremendous leap. No, he makes out- a, a running charge that lasts about ten seconds. It's long enough for him to unload the entire gun, and then he jumps roughly fifty feet straight up into the air. <laughs> and that's about accurate. Yeah. Makoto looks up, and a plane goes by and <laughs> blocks out the sun momentarily. Gives him just enough time to be like, "Huh, what?" And then the knife just boom plunges straight between. Makoto's eyes straight down into his brain, dagger of Kamui style. He's standing up on him. 
there's the wonderful long moment where there's silence. Yeah, just the long silence of him standing on top because Makoto is just standing up in the air and John is standing mounted on Makoto. On his shoulders. Knife in his head, holding the silence, and then... He pulls the knife out, and that's when Makoto falls. Yes. Apparently the dead. Knife Not allowed to dead. fall until afterwards. Boom. Falls down, dead. Fights over. John's walking away. And suddenly... <laughs> oh my god. John! <laughs> Makoto is still alive! And he has to give his death speech of his entire life story just out of nowhere. The people who murdered my parents were white. <laughs> like my mother. No, no, no. His mother was Japanese. Okay, yes. His mother was Japanese. His father was white. This is absolute taboo. How could that race traitor betray her race like every Asian woman in the mainstream media and also porno by shacking up with a white dude? And so... The syndicate killed his mom. Cause the syndicate, which has never <laughs> been mentioned ever <laughs> up till now. Oh, the syndicate did it. And they killed him, and he swore revenge, and he wasn't going to love anyone ever again. And he was going to take his revenge on this sin-drenched world. And he was going to control it through the power of money. Yes. That's why he had the big gold stash in in his Dr. Evil lair. He just keeps talking, and it's like, dude, you just had a knife driven straight through your brain. And maybe you could make the argument that maybe it was so precise it went perfectly between the left and right lobe. (laughs) And that it let him talk a little more, but he just wouldn't shut up. That's the most unrealistic knife fight I've ever seen with the most what the fuck conclusion. (laughs) And then everything explodes. Why not? (laughs) And then John takes the cure for AIDS and he and his friend get into the Harrier jet parked on top of the Mayan pyramid. They take off and then they fly to the aircraft carrier where they're it looks like it's in the middle of the sky. It doesn't look like it's in the middle of the ocean because it's just solid blue. <laughs> Somehow he opens the canopy, throws the vaccine. Oh, we find, also find out that the vaccine The is vaccine fake. is fake. It's a hoax. We were just going to use the threat of curing AIDS. <laughs> if we convinced everyone that we had it, then we could control the world. We don't actually need to have the cure for AIDS. It was a brilliant idea that had no flaws whatsoever. You died. You died for nothing. Why? I could have made a man go so mad. (laughs) He throws the case with the fake vaccine onto the deck of the aircraft carrier where his government boss is, and then machine guns it for no particular reason at all, and then they fly off. Yes, the end. That's it. 45 minutes of your life that you will never get back. Should we also mention that wonderful little song for the end credits, which talks about your card is being crushed in my book bag? Oh, yes, that's right. (laughs) The lyrics to the song were, like, almost up there with the Devil Hunter Yoko end theme song. The lyrics of the song are basically, like, of a kid standing on the roof of their school, all depressed and thinking of jumping off, with a line in the song that says, My heart is being crushed in my book bag. (laughs) None of this has anything whatsoever to do with Dog Soldier. I don't even (laughs) think it was, like, we took a popular song of the day and made it the end song. I think they sat carefully got a songwriter and said watch dog soldier and he decided you know what i think the truth theme and spirit and heart and soul is this of their childhood past in the slums of la their hearts being crushed in their book bags which they were too poor to afford and quick quick do you know what the name of that song was oh boy no i do not because it's called okajono sissy the sissy (laughs) on the roof (laughs) 
What an important detail. Now I want the that OST. That is an important detail, Devin. That it is. is. I'm glad I know now. The story of how lame Dog Soldier is is that song at the end. Oh, God. Dog Soldier is just absolute trash garbage. I own retail copies of it twice over because I own the dub and the sub of the actual VHS tape. You don't own the manga, though, do you? No, the manga's never been released in English, unfortunately. Carl Horn read the manga when he was in Japan, and he said he could never fully bring himself to hate Dog Soldier because it was kind of important to him when he was in Japan reading Dog (laughs) Soldier every week. And then I said, what about Root Search, Carl? And then Carl just stopped and thought for a little, little bit, and he said... No, you're right. Root Search is the worst anime ever made. (laughs) He had nothing to say in Root Search's defense. Whereas Dog Soldier, he couldn't quite bring himself to hate it. Actually, one of my favorite memories about Dog Soldier was I was in the offices of Central Park Media when they got the box of VHS tapes with the box art on it. And for those of you who have never seen the Dog Soldier box, it's this terrible, terrible, sort of crappily painted scene of John with his Rambo knife. And it looks like something from the Rambo cartoon. All that CPM did for the box art was, or rather the graphic designer that they hired, they just sort of slapped, I think it was like a blue box at the top of it. And it's just in red letters, like dog soldier. And it's like this really amazing, really tacky design. (laughs) And I just remember, I just remember them opening up the boxes and they're looking at it. And one of them says, Hey, you know, John, I think this is the best box we've ever done. (laughs) <laughs> was it the only box? Oh, oh, yeah, I see. Oh, man. Back in the days when graphic design was a difficult thing that you couldn't just do using pirated software from the beauty and comfort of your own home. <laughs> Back when they were trying to do this stuff on their computers that had a whole 16 megs of RAM. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, license for this has expired. I don't think anyone has deemed it worthy enough to encode and preserve for all time maybe we should get on that and uh, Mm. distribute it to the world at this point because otherwise dog soldier is going to be forgotten i mean we don't have a dog soldier dvd i don't know why Uh, they let the license uh, expire we need to get on john cirabello's case this is yeah this is his (laughs) media blasters alley yeah but then they'd have to you know get an all new retranslation and you know remaster it and get like interviews with uh, the, the people creator. responsible for it and all that jazz. But the thing is, there's like 11 zillion copies of Dog Soldier on VHS still floating around there. You can still find them at conventions and stuff. I get the feeling that the stuff that people know they won't sell, they don't even bring it to the cons anymore. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen VHSs for sale at cons for this year at all. No, I haven't seen them at any of them. But yeah, Dog Soldier is just terrible. And the craziest thing about Dog Soldier is... The absolutely stellar voice cast that they assembled oh my God, for Dog yes. Soldier. All the great guys from the 80s are in this. It's Akira Kamiya as John, and Norio Wakamoto himself as the villain, yes. Makoto, and Mika Doi as Kathy, and Mika Doi was like a Misa Hayase from Macross, and of course, Saki Amakauri from Air Master. It's <laughs> the only things that matter. We can't forget about Angel from Angel Cop either. That was the other oh, no. grandiose role. Wasn't Mika Doi also in Odin? Odin yeah, no, you're thinking of else. Keiko Han, who was the girl in Odin. Okay. Yeah. There was only Just like assuming one that female. Mika was in that. Since... No, oh, no well. such luck. But yeah, I think if you watched it now, you'd be hilariously entertained by how ludicrous the plot is and how damn unconvincing the action scenes are and the animation is shit too like you'll know from like the first 30 seconds where it shows like the ambulance drive by 
and they were so lazy to draw a background that when you see the ambulance drive by, like stars in the background sky move with the ambulance because it's dust or whatever. <laughs> it's like, okay, way to go, guys. This is really good. This is terrible anime and should be watched by everybody. <laughs> and it's only going to get worse from this point on. Yeah. Hey, dudes and dudette of Anime World Order. It's Andrew from Destroy All Podcast DX, or Daft DX, as they're calling on the street these days. First, I'd like to give you a shout-out, because I'm starting to enjoy your podcast, starting to actually sit down and listen to it, and I really like what I hear. Now, I would like to say that I am incredibly jealous you guys got to meet Noboru Ishiguro. I mean, if I was there, I would have been singing the Yamato theme, the Macross theme, just making an ass of myself, hopefully showing him that, yes, I do appreciate his shows. Please tell Paul Chapman to take his ukulele and shove it. Thank you. Also, I'd like to express my annoyance that my podcast isn't going to cover Machine Robo, but you guys are. I mean, what the hell's going on there? Just because we haven't seen the whole thing, we don't get to review it? Eh, whatever. You know, Jeremy, he says, well, I don't want to review anything unless we've seen at least the entire show or condensed into a stupid compilation movie because he just loves those. Ah, oh, whatever, I can complain enough on my own podcast, but before I go, I'd like to say that I would hope that all the anime podcasts can come together this time of year and give thanks to our Lord and Savior. That's right, I'm talking about Kano, the King of Fists. May he rule the heavens. Ciao, guys. as well pretty much but i mean it was also the anime that central park media was trying to flog the most out of really. yeah because they thought oh this will appeal to everyone because it's so american action, action movie like uh, yeah because it's like every time the store is like hmm, we've heard about this japanese animation stuff can you give us and they'd send them like a little box of sample stuff and there'd be dog soldier and md geist and the humanoid it's like the great box of how not to get people hooked on anime <laughs> Except MB Geist somehow worked. Yeah. I don't know. The humanoid, though, it's like, what is anime? The humanoid. I'm waiting for MB Geist 3. It's been another 10 years since part 2. We're damn due yeah. for another one. Oh. oh, God. I'm the only person who has watched Machine Robo, so I'm doing this basically on my own, I guess. If you've ever seen Fist of the North Star, you've seen Machine Robo. Almost, yeah. Machine Robo, well, actually, why don't we start and then we can get into, uh, into that. We've talked about a fine medical thriller such as Dog Soldier, and we're going to be uh, talking about the fine historical movie Crystal Triangle, but there's one thing that this show is missing. Robots and a long journey. Something very much like Sayuki. If you know Sayuki, that's the uh, great Chinese novel, and the show that I'm going to be talking about is Machine Robo, which is very much like Sayuki, except without a long classic tale, a very long journey, or a monkey or a flying Nimbus, or really anything or, like that. Or, you know, the Dragon Balls. The Dragon Balls. another part of the Journey of the West. But what it does have is every single thing in it is a robot. Yes, I am going to be talking about Machine Robo Revenge of Kronos. The first 15 episodes, because no more of that has been released. Yeah, this is not to be confused with the other bazillion Machine Robo shows out there, like Machine Robo Rescue... 
Yeah, Machine Robo Rescue is the most recent. one after that, too. Yeah, Machine Robo Rescue actually had humans in it. This is uh, different, very different. Why is this show called Machine Robo Revenge of Kronos? Well, first of all, the entire show takes place on a planet that happens to be entirely inhabited by robots. And Cybertron. What's really weird is that there are human robots, and there are transformable robots. Like, there are humans that have got robotic arms and robotic bodies and just have a human face, and then there are robots very much like Transformer robots. So this is kind of like how there's Goofy and Pluto, but Goofy can drive a car, (laughs) and Pluto can't. Exactly. Perfectly. And the planet that they are on happens to be called Kronos. So, basically, Machine Robo Revenge of Kronos means that their own planet is taking revenge on itself or something. Yeah. Unicron's revenge, maybe. Yeah. So, so instantly, you know this is pretty primo stuff. This show itself revolves around our main hero, who happens to be named Rum. Yes, like read-only memory, because this was made in 1986 when computers were fancy-schmancy things that people didn't know a whole lot about. So it precedes the other Kronos, the one with the movie, the weird, like, Kronos device. Did you ever see that one? No, I didn't. had Ron Perlman in it. Uh, no. No. <laughs> Yes, Rom is there with his sister. His sister's named Reina. There is their father there. His name is Kide. Their father is this big deal martial arts master, because I guess when you're robots, you, you know all about martial arts and swords and all that. Well, well you they've know, got that, you can't, that history. You can't, transform. you can't transform, so you need martial arts. Exactly. The enemies in this series are the Gyandalar. I had it in, the, in my translation as Gondora, but yeah, the Gyandalar, Gondora. Gondolas. Gondolas. <laughs> They are also robots, but they are evil robots from outer space. These robots just happen to come to Kronos for no particular reason, and, well, at first, and then they find out that there is this energy there called a Hydrobeat. This is a- never explained in detail as to, like, what it is or what they're after. It's just, they're after something called the Hydrobeat. All they say is that it's an energy. That's it, and they need this energy. The premise of the show is just so vague. All they really wanted was a show to sell toys where these robots would walk around from town to town and meet other robots that could potentially be sold as toys. Short side note, I should mention that if you've ever had any contact with Machine Robo, it was probably in the form of GoBots back in uh, the early 80s, because a lot of the designs that came out of Machine Robo were also used in GoBots. Anyway, on with the story. These bad guys came to Kronos in search of this high-rebeat energy, and they ended up fighting Rom and his friends, and they ended up killing Kire, Rom's father. For no reason whatsoever, on the very second episode, Rom just takes out his sword, the wolf sword, points it in the direction of the sun and says, we will walk in that direction. That's it. And they keep walking. They, ju- they journey off. And there's no- so no revenge plot or anything. Just, oh, you've killed my dad. Time to go discover myself and aren't America. They, but aren't they like looking for the Hyrebeed to keep the Gondora from finding it? That's kind of vaguely put there, but the reason that they actually start, it's, it's very just kind of out of nowhere. What I really love about the show is that it's got a very entertaining side cast, I guess. Some of the friends that Rom and his sister wander around with. A robot who happens to have the head of a drill and who can punch rocks. What would you think that his name would be? Rocky. Well, Drill. Drill. Rod Drill. Rod Drill. Very, Rod, very Rod Drill? Rod Drill. I think there's a porn star with that name. I think so, too. <laughs> if there's not, there needs to be. I think I'll change my name to that. And... There's another one who happens to be a jet. What would his name be? Jet something? Blue Jet. 
Blue Jet. But, oh, but, so he's a Blue Jet. I get he it. Actually, Very descriptive he happens name. To be, he happens to be red. What the fuck? <laughs> there also happens to be another robot in here who turns into uh, a car. What did you think that his name is? Kit. Actually, actually his name is... Goliath. Jim. Jim. In fact, his name I was is... going to say car, like K-A-R-R, but... <laughs> his name is Triple Jim. Jim, um, Jim, Jim. <laughs> just, just Triple Jim. This day, the show is full of just really weird names. There's another car that they drive around in who happens to be called Flex. Battle Flex. Flex Cabana. Battle Flex. Battle Flex. This is like the opposite naming convention scheme methodology to the Yoshiyuki Tamino. Oh, where you just put in <laughs> put just random, put random bullshit to together that sounds like really elaborate and complex. This is like really simple names. Straightforward. I mean, there are people that show up later. Another robot just named Trim Sponsor. Another one. I, I really love this other one called Pro Truck Racer. <laughs> that just doesn't lie to you at all. It told is you exactly he a pro truck racer? Is. Does he race trucks professionally? I'm assuming that he is, because I don't think that he is in the episodes that we actually got over here, unfortunately. The entire purpose of this show is that this group, Ram and them, are going around kicking the ass of Gandora, and they have to just defend themselves against the Gandalar, or the Gandora. They sent after them the most evil crew of the Gandora, and they happen to be called the Devil Satan Six. The Devil Satan Six. Yeah, not, not the, the Devil Satan Six Six Six. Yeah, that would make more sense, no. wouldn't it? <laughs> not the Devil Six. Not the Satan Six. The Devil Satan Six. And they you all had to make sure you knew they giant. were evil. Just in case you're not entirely sure that they're bad guys. Yeah. What was that, Neil? They all combined together to form the Ultimate Devil. To form one giant Devil Satan robot. <laughs> And, well, you know, when you take in the power of the devil, you become the immortal hero. And this show also takes a couple of notes from other shows, such as Voltron and such, in that Rom himself can transform into a more powerful version of himself, who happens to have ten times more power. And that version is, of course, Blade Dragon. Apparently, Blade Dragon is a piece of shit because he's only transformed into it for a very short time. Blade Dragon inevitably gets his ass kicked. He has to then transform into an even more powerful version of himself, which combines the most terrifying aspects of Eastern culture and Western culture. Okay, so so wait, wait. It's truck pulls and Broadway musicals combined with Anka. That would, <laughs> that would make a lot of sense. But the most terrifying thing that Europe has ever produced is, of course, Vikings. I know. Vikings. Oh, Vikings. Shit. Yeah, Vikings are terrifying. And the most powerful thing that Asia has ever created? Kung Fu. So let's combine oh, together to create Vikung Fu. Fu. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, this sounds like the best show I've ever heard of. It is the best show you've ever heard of. It's, it's, 
this goes against the grain of this podcast, this particular one, because this is the most amazing show ever. Vi Kung Fu. Remember, we are talking about the best terrible anime that is hell of a lot of fun to watch. So I think it's totally in the realm of this podcast. Yeah, because once you become amoral enough, there is no good entertaining and ironically entertaining. <laughs> it's just entertaining or not. Yes, and this absolutely firmly falls into the realm of just absolutely amazing entertainment. I love how Rom can transform. Everybody else can just transform by shifting their parts around, but no, he's got the mystical robot that just appears around him. So it's like armor, and then like a bigger robot appears around that. He's like the Matryoshka doll of, of giant <laughs> robots. Yeah, he just appears out of nowhere, and what I love is that when Rom gets into the Blade Dragon, you can see he doesn't actually fit inside it. Like, his arms are sticking out, like, there's no way that this thing would actually move. They gave it to him when he was, like, five, and <laughs> he's outgrown it since, but he still has an attachment to it. It's like a security armor. Yes, and the proportions in the show are insane. Like, Reyna, she uses Jim, triple Jim, as her transport. And when Jim transforms into a car, she just kind of, like, sits inside him, and you can see, like, it's a pretty big car. When he transforms back down, he's, like, exactly the same size as her, and she just kind of falls out the back of him. <laughs> I don't actually know how it works. It doesn't. It doesn't. You're thinking about this too much. You can never think too much about a giant robot show. Or, or maybe you can. I don't Look, know. I, I love the fact that Blue Jet is always referred to as the samurai in this show. Yes. He's a jet, but he's got a sword, and he's a samurai, as opposed to Rod Drill, who's the goofy dumb guy who's the friend to everybody. Oh, Rod Drill is amazing. There was a scene where they were wandering around an Arctic environment, which, by the way, in the show, the Arctic environment was at absolute zero. I'm not making that up. And Absolute zero! <laughs> no! No! And th they just have to find a place to stay, so Rod Drill just drills into a wall. They walk inside, and there's, like, chairs and a table and, like, a love seat and everything. He just drilled this in, like, a second with his drill. So <laughs> He's an artist. He is an artist, and his medium is ice. Oh. <laughs> That's not to say that the show isn't deep. It has fine religious imagery as well, because in the second episode of this, the entire team gets crucified on a mountain. Crucified! <laughs> 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 could have talked about Frankenstein. <laughs> we could talk about a lot of things. But... <laughs> and not to, not to mention the amazing battle sequences as well. Because in a particular battle, Rod Drill pulls out his sword and cuts this enemy in half. Then suplexes the enemy and then cuts them in half again. <laughs> so he, he, he suplexes just one half of it. No, no, he, no, no, he cuts them in half, they magically combine again, the two halves, he suplexes them, and then cuts them in half again. Oh, it would have been better if he, like, cut it in half at the waist, and then suplexed just the top part of the waist, <laughs> and then cut him in half. Ugh. Just to make sure. When I make a movie, I'll do that to somebody. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, this is amazing. I mean, second or third episode, this crew has to go off and save a fortress called the Sado Fortress that is run by a guy named... Davy. The show itself, only 15 episodes of this is out. I'm really sad by this because I really wished I could see more of this, but apparently, I guess it just didn't go over too well. I have no idea why. It has Robo in the name? Probably. And mm -hmm. <clears throat> that is very unfortunate because people are certainly missing out by not seeing this because every episode, Rom has got an entrance. And this is like the primo part of every episode. If you've ever seen Sergio Leone any of his movies, this is 
entirely taken from Sergio Leone, complete with trumpet music and everything. He has, like, speeches. I think this is one of my favorites. He enters with just, The wind blowing across the plain doesn't know where it was born, but it is unfettered and untamed. It is what people call freedom. <laughs> Though heaven may forgive those whose hearts are ruled by darkness, I do not! That sounds like something Stephen Colbert would say. As you can see, Machine Robo, find this thing. It's released on DVD. <laughs> Thoroughly entertaining all the way through, even though the animation is terrible. In fact, from scene to scene, the characters change designs entirely. Proportions are horrible. Animation nice. is terrible. Multiple suplexing, amazing. Multiple cutting in half, also amazing. So these DVDs still in print? I doubt it. I think that you're probably going to have to find these things online in some obscure place or at cons somewhere, because I think that you can still find these at cons. Unfortunately, 15 episodes is all, and this is a show that is designed to sell toys, and I guess CPM didn't have the toy rights to it, because those, I guess, were owned by Hasbro. This is another one that I believe has been featured in Super Robot Wars. Yes, this is definitely in Super Robot Wars. Oh, God. And that's another one where... Anyone who knows about the show probably knows about it from that. There is one really great thing about it, though, that most people don't know. It was bought by accident. Is that <laughs> they, like they wanted to buy Giant Robo and they got Machine Robo instead? What's the no, story? No, this is the story that I heard. Apparently what happened was CPM or Software Sculptures, I can't remember who was in charge at that point. I think it's Software they Sculptures. Were, well, it was released under Software Sculptures, but I think CPM and Software Sculptures had merged at that point. But they were looking at the show, and I heard that they were considering licensing it, but they decided against it. But somebody in the finance department didn't hear about that, and they cut the check to license it anyway, and that activated the contract. So they just suddenly found it like, oh, you've licensed Giant Robo by a mistake. Machine Robo. <laughs> what a wonderful mistake. Yeah, See, yeah. without that mistake, I would not be as thoroughly entertained as I am today. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I know. And I wouldn't uh, have my porn names, or... <laughs> By the way, you forgot to mention the greatest thing about Rom Stoll. It's like whenever somebody would say, Who are you? And he would say, You don't deserve to know my name. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when I asked Mike Dent, Okay, what are your thoughts on Machine Robo? He said, My thoughts? You don't deserve to hear my thoughts. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, it's wonderful cliche. I love how in the world of Machine Robo, they'll walk into a village of robots who are, like, picking crops. And yes. For, at no point does anybody at all question, why are the robots growing food? Yes, and the show is full of just weird things. Like, the first opening of the very first episode, the show just wants to get incredibly violent out of nowhere. They take this random guy, put him on a spike, throw him up into the air, spike him through the chest, throw him down, and cut him in half. But it's okay because he's a robot. He's yeah. a robot, exactly. I think that's entirely why everybody's a robot, is so that they can get away with the violence. Right. I really love the fact that the entire planet seems to be around the technology level of medieval Japan, except they're all robots. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like fortresses, you think, beers. You robots would have a better grasp of technology? I mean, what happens if they get, you know, damaged? They can't fix themselves? Or where do they come from? How, yeah. how did this planet of robots arrive? There's no, like, factories or anything there. It's just there. They're just born. They just appear out of the earth or something. 
And, and, and the great thing is, like, at one point, I think Rod Drill goes back to his childhood home and meets up with his childhood sweetheart, which is implying that he had a childhood. Right. Yes. yes <laughs> back that was when he was a little robot and they gave him the armor. One of those cross-cultural relationships, because Rod Drill is the robot type of robot and she is the human type of robot. I think the two villages live across the river from each other, and it's very Romeo and Juliet, except with robot. <laughs> Oh, and oh, don't that... forget the Rock Lords totally show up in this show. Yes. The robots who transform into boulders. Yes, oh, I thought were... it was like they had electric guitars. So it would be like <laughs> Vikings, ninjas, and electric guitars wailing. Rock Lords. And robots. Yes, robots that turn into rocks. Is there anything more a child would want? Uh, and you could just hand a child an actual rock and say, look, this is a toy. <laughs> it's just broken. It doesn't transform. Everybody I mean, knows that rocks were the original toys. I saw that commercial for rocks during Sodom and Osama, how you just collect them all, the one that has Pikachu on it, and throw them at the soldiers. <laughs> and their attack is just rolling at you. That's their big attack, is just rolling. <sighs> and the show is just full of weird little things as well. Like, they'll have just a scene that'll just be a couple of seconds of, like, a husband robot sitting at home reading his newspaper, and the wife walks up to him and says... Hey, dear, would you like to go for a walk? And it'll just cut away, and there's no reason for that scene to have ever happened. <laughs> Random characters you've never seen before. Oh. It's like we needed to fill some time. I'm like, yes. A <laughs> couple of seconds, robots at home reading the newspaper. It's out of nowhere. There is no more irony for me liking this. I actually like this. That's the really <laughs> horrible part. Well, it is. I mean, the thing is, the artwork and animation are actually pretty good for uh, a 1980s show. The robots are so well... When they are on screen, the animation just gets really good. Like, all the shading and all the parts and all that. As long as they're not standing next to anything that you could tell proportions are horribly off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking too hard about this. Yeah, you are. Just smile and nod. <laughs> yes. I mean, we don't, we don't even talk about the bad guys. You know, like Goddess and Deandra and all those guys who are just... They stand around and make threats, and then they show up, and then they get their asses kicked by, by Kung Fu. And one of them is a lizard in a bottle of fluid in a robot. That's a pretty awesome villain. It would have been a pretty awesome toy. Uh, <laughs> you can make that yourself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so I think we can conclude from the, all this that Machine Robo is one of the most awesome shows ever made. I would agree. Yes. So now forevermore, you may now refer to me as just Rod Drill. Uh, I would prefer not to. Aw, oh, damn. It's out there on DVD. There's three volumes, five episodes each. You could probably get each DVD for, like, I don't know, a buck a at bucks. this point. Yeah, and it comes with a sing-along, the funky 80s robot sing-along. So, uh, oh, yes, where they basically took the opening credits and end credits and played with the lyrics so you can actually do sing-along lyrics on there. Yes, yes, very important. Yeah. It's also got a kick-ass theme song. that. Yeah, which uh, everybody heard when they listened to this, because we always add the theme song, but we never hear it when we actually do the review recording. Yes. So, yeah, I guess that's about all I've got to say.
last show's voicemail? Who is this idiot? You know, I cut the fans a lot of slack when it comes to the workings of the whole media business, but this guy has got some fucking pair of balls on him. He's going to complain about a $17 four-hour DVD? That's a fucking deal, you dumb freak. Why don't you go try to find a price like that in Japan? You won't find anything close to that over there where DVDs usually sell for 40 bucks. The cost-benefit ratio is in your favor, jackass. Guys like you think anime labels are making money hand over foot. But let me tell you something, squirt. The business does not work like they taught you in Economics 101 at the community college. We got problems with names you've never even heard of. A label grosses maybe 25% of the retail price of a DVD sold to a customer and grosses zero on a DVD that doesn't leave the store. And that's before Uncle Sam takes his big, wet bite out of their ass. I've sent a couple of voicemails into AWO explaining how this whole process works, but they never got played. You know why? Because Daryl Surratt is a fucking vampire. He feeds off your anger. He needs it to live. If word got out to the public how this business works and the source of the real problems, he'd die because nobody would be bitching. It'd shut down like a wind-up Godzilla toy. The guy who called in wants to be angry? Fine. There's a lot that an anime fan should be angry about. Be angry at the retailers for jacking up the prices and ordering too much. Be angry at the licensing agents who inflated licensing values like Arkansas real estate just to get a big commission. Be angry that the Japanese companies will never learn that their model of an ad doesn't work well over here. Am I right, Sony Pictures? How's that for angry? All right, I guess I was going to have the Crystal Triangle review here, but... It hasn't been sent in yet, and I'm about to leave to go to the airport for New York Anime Festival. So I'm just going to upload this, what we have here, and I'll upload the Crystal Triangle thing like Monday or something like that. Anyway, I have to leave now, so later.